invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible handy, there are some at uh, each end of the pews. Uh, as I shared, we are uh, rolling into the uh, final uh, part of, of Mark, having covered some of the last uh, completing sections of the, the book during our Easter week time. But uh, we're in chapter 13, and we've spent now, this is our second week in chapter 13. Uh, for this reason, there's a lot here. A lot here about the coming of our Lord. Last week we took uh, what you might call as the 30,000 foot view of this Mark chapter 13, looking at the reality of Jesus' return and his call for us to be ready. And, and asking two uh, pretty straightforward, but nevertheless very challenging questions last week. Do we believe in the reality? Of Jesus' return? And are we living in a posture of readiness for that return each and every day? Last week, that was the 30,000 foot view, if you will. Uh, this week, what we want to do is zoom in a little bit more closely. So bear with in advance. I'll warn you some of the uh, tech, technicalities of this passage this morning. We're going to zoom in and ask these two questions. What are the signs and scenarios? What are the signs and scenarios of Jesus' return? As this passage shows us and some other passages in Scripture. So I invite you to stand with me in recognition of God's Word. We read portions of this last week. We're going to read some of the same portions this week and then another portion that we didn't cover last week. I'll read aloud and you read along silently with me. Mark chapter 13 uh, verses 1 through 27. And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination 
of desolation, standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect, but be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power. And glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we ask today that you would continue to allow the reality of the return of Jesus to sink into our lives and make us ready for it. Let us not be led astray, but understand the signs rightly and even the scenarios of our Lord's return. Help us in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, as I said, we focused on the reality and our readiness for Jesus' return. Like flying over the country of China at 30,000 feet. It sure would be a shame to look down and somehow not be able to see that great wall. That would be obvious, even from that height. We talked about that last week and the danger that we can somehow just wander through our Christian life, I'm guilty of it, without having a daily recognition that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus is coming back. This week we want to address, if you will, the opposite error. That of perhaps standing at the foot of the Great Wall of China, looking at one particular block of stone in front of you, and perhaps looking up a little bit at its height and being totally unaware that it extends to the left and to the right for miles upon miles. Jesus wants us, as he teaches us in these verses, to rightly understand the signs, and to the best we can, some of the scenarios for Jesus' return. And unfortunately, the church, it's a strange reality, irony, that these very verses where you heard me read today, Jesus cautioned us time and time again not to be led astray to false teaching, to be on our guard, to have a posture of, of, of protection. That it's in these verses that so often the Christian church find some of the teaching that tends to lead us astray, that keeps us from being focused on the main reality that Jesus is returning and we ought to live each day ready for it. 
Uh, I'm not the first one to observe this. If you just go to your local Christian bookstore, you can look on the shelves and see them. One of my favorite ones from the 80s was a book called 88 Reasons the World Will End in 1988. It was a bestseller for a while. Then, you know, 89, it kind of went down. Things tapered off in the sales of that one. Uh, Back, uh, it's nothing new, of course, either. Uh, Back in the uh, 1800s, 1818, William Miller famously predicted that Jesus would return sometime between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844. That one kind of came and went as well. Uh, This game of predicting sells a lot of books, but it's actually something that Jesus cautions us about. It's a little bit like this, if you can picture this with me. You have a friend that's not familiar with uh, this whole region of America, and they're visiting you in Birmingham. They've got their family, and they want to go to Disney World. And you tell them you're going to go get on Interstate 65 or whatever. You're going to head down the highway towards Florida. It's going to take you a little while to get there. Uh, When you get close, though, there's going to be a billboard. In case you miss everything else, there's going to be a billboard about Disney World on the side of the road. Make sure to turn off there. You'll be close. It's kind of like that. You tell your friend to go, and then you you find out they, they get on the road, and the minute they get outside of Birmingham... They start staring at every single billboard that's coming by the road. And they're, they're swerving all over the road, not really going in a very straight direction because they're trying to keep their attention on it. Maybe they even stop and pull over and get out of the car and climb those ladders for some of those huge billboards with the metal pole and take a real good look at that uh, billboard sign to, to make sure it doesn't say something about Disney that they're uh, missing. They get all the way down and finally make it. It takes them weeks to get to Florida, not a day, but weeks, and uh, finally see that billboard, the one that you had mentioned, and pull off right there. They're so excited to see the billboard, to get the family out of the car, put some tents up and get all the gear out, take pictures, post it on Facebook, excited to write letters home that they've reached the billboard. And as they're there, Mickey himself is getting off of work from Disney World, just a mile or two down the road, and he passes by, rolls down to see, rolls down the window to see if they need any help. But they're too occupied with the billboard about Disney World to stop and see Mickey. It's kind of like that with this end times things. Jesus gives us some signs. He gives us some scenarios, but we need to rightly understand them to the best of our ability. Otherwise, we spend our time swerving off the road trying to see billboards for something that's down the road a ways. And then we get so caught up in the billboard that we miss the actual person we're supposed to be waiting for, supposed to be seeing. So the main idea then that we might take from our passage today, and you can find this in the back of your worship guide if you want to turn there, There's some sermon notes. It says this, since Jesus is returning, since Jesus is returning, we should rightly read the signs and understand the scenarios of his return. And the way I want to do that today, if we can, is to break this passage down, because I think it it can be broken down this way, and talk about the number one non-signed signs, the uh, up-close signs, and the far-away signs. We'll cover that first, and then we'll talk about some of the scenarios as we have time at the end. 
you think about uh, this reality of Jesus' return, one thing that we should realize in this passage, if you look with me at Mark 13 and verse 4, Jesus is actually answering a very specific question that the disciples have raised. They want him to tell them, when will these things be? Now, that's kind of general, these things. We don't know exactly what they're meaning, but they, he's just told them about the temple collapsing. And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So there's a question of timing here, and there's a question of these signs. And I think that the challenge for us is that it's easy for us to get wrapped around the axle reading a passage like this, or some of the other passages in the scriptures that refer to Jesus' return. And, and we want to understand them. We want to dig in and understand them. But we can kind of look at it uh, like a straight line instead of like a mountain range. You know, if you've had that experience of driving up uh, to the, the Smokies, perhaps, or maybe you've even had the chance when we lived in St. Louis, we made that drive a couple of times out to Colorado. And you come across that flat plains of, of, of Missouri and Kansas, and then all of a sudden you see off in the distance the mountains. You ever had that experience? And if you look off in the distance, it's kind of like a child's drawing. There's no depth or proportion represented. You can't tell which mountains are close and which are far away. But if you only looked at it just as that line, you might think you've just got mountain peaks right in some perfect line, that they're all exactly the same size because they kind of look the same size from a distance. But what happens when you get closer? You see a couple of things. One, there's some real similarities between each of the mountains. They're similar in the sense that they've all got trees on them probably, got some rocks on them, have snow maybe at the top. They all have some kind of slope to them, and they're all pretty big things. So there's some similarities there. But there's also some differences. You might discover that one, when you were driving from a distance, that looked like it was actually one of the biggest mountains. It's not that big at all. It's just the one that's closest up front. And one that maybe looked a little bit smaller off in the distance, as you get closer, you realize it's actually huge. It's just further away. It just looks further away. I think understanding some of the biblical realities about the end times are like that. There's mountains along the way that Jesus is describing, and we have to have them in right perspective. So keep that in your mind, and let's talk about what these verses say. The standard features, I'm going to talk for a minute about the non-sign signs. They're kind of like the trees, the rocks, the slopes. Jesus are saying there's some things that are always going to be the case in the end times. Then there's one particular mountain, that one that's up close, which actually isn't nearly as big as the one in the distance, but it, it looks close, and Jesus is talking about it. That's this fall of the temple and this strange phrase, abomination, that causes desolation. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So those are a couple of things. And then we want to take just a few minutes to talk about what we really focused on last week, which is that mountain that is off in the distance, that's the fulfillment, if you will, of all the other mountains. That's the culmination of all the other mountains in the range, that return of Jesus that's coming. Let's talk for a minute about the non-sign signs, and hopefully you'll see what I'm tracking. I'm not sure, everybody, based on the appearances out there, I'm not sure we're all tracking, but we'll, we'll see if you guys can, can follow along with this here. Uh, look with me at, at chapter 13 of Mark again, verse 6. 
tells us a number of things that we might call non-sign signs. That means these are things like rocks and trees and slopes on mountains that are kind of always there. They're with every mountain. It tells us in verse 6 that there's going to be false Christs coming. It tells us in verse 7 and 8, Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. In that verse 8, it also mentions earthquakes and famines. In verse 9, it talks about persecutions. In uh, verse 10, the gospel is going to be proclaimed to all nations. In 12, it talks us about this horrible situation of these family, even families will betray one another. What's all that about? Well, Jesus tells us. He tells us not to be alarmed about them. He tells us they're just the beginning of birth pains. What he's telling us is is that these are realities in a a fallen world. When we live between in this period between the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and his second coming, these are going to be realities. You're going to have trees and rocks and snow-covered peaks and slopes. That's the reality of living in this time. And in fact, he's saying... That contrary to the bookshelf in the Christian bookstore, uh, our propensity to get really worked up about any particular famine or any particular war or any particular family strife or trouble or persecution, he said that's actually, we're being led astray if we use that as a reason to conclude that things are happening right now. He says they're just the beginning of the birth pains. Those are the non-sign signs that kind of always be there. They point to one reality. We need Jesus to come back. That's the one main reality they point to for us, but don't necessarily tell us when or how. Second thing we see is this sign up close. And walk with me here. I know it's, I know it's Father's Day. It's kind of celebration day. You're like, oh, man, I didn't know I was supposed to buckle up, Chris, but buckle up a little bit. Starting in verse 14 of Mark uh, chapter 13 again, it talks about a couple things. The basic picture here, folks, is the destruction of the temple, which happened in around 70 A.D. And Jesus is doing a few things. One, he's just giving them a warning about this horrible event that's going to take place and did take place for them. Again, these, we read it after the fact. They didn't know this was coming. They see the temple up there, and it doesn't look like it could possibly, anything could affect it. Jesus says, no, it's going to topple down. Actually, in your lifetime, in this generation, it's going to collapse. But he's doing more here than just kind of giving them a heads up. You know, hey, get ready for this big, big disaster. He's reminding them of a reality that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And that is that God's been in the business of his people of Israel being a light for the nations, that everybody would come. We're told in the book of Hebrews that ultimately the the temple was just an earthly picture of the heavenly reality we're going to experience. We're, We're told at the end of Mark in chapter 15, verse 38, one of the things, it's kind of obscure when you read it, that happens after Jesus dies, after he's crucified, is that the temple curtain, The temple curtain that divided, just like, you know, if this curtain were closed, you'd be divided from here, that it was torn down the middle, symbolizing the reality that all are invited to come in, all are invited to approach. And Jesus is telling them that even this temple, this earthly, majestic manifestation of God's holiness and his kingdom to come, it's going to come tumbling down because our ultimate hope's not in that. It's in Jesus' return. It's in the kingdom that he's going 
to build. Jesus has given them some info about his people and how he's reconstituting his people, that the gospel, the message of salvation would go to the nations. And then he talks to them about this strange phrase in the midst of it, abomination that causes desolation. You know, you may not know what he's talking about, but whatever it is, it sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not mom and apple pie here. Abomination that causes desolation. He's just saying that something's going to happen, and indeed did, when the Romans came in, uh, approximately a million people, by all accounts, were, uh, died in this siege of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., so it was a horrific event. But then on top of that, the Romans went in and destroyed the temple and desecrated it and took this holy place that's supposed to represent God's kingdom and causes, cause desecration to it. All of this, Jesus is saying, is really a microcosm, he says. It's a paradigm, if you will, of the destruction of things and then ultimately restoration of things that that Jesus is going to bring. So it's a mountain that's supposed to help us picture. It's a smaller mountain closer up for the people he's talking to that's supposed to help us picture that bigger mountain in the distance of Jesus' return. And verses 24 through 27 tell us about that. So the third point for today is this faraway mountain. Now, Jesus says we don't know when it's going to come. Again, I hope after last week's message where we talked about the reality and readiness for Jesus' return, I hope some of us, maybe just one day this week, maybe some of you even, it happened you know, six or seven days out of this last week, but you had a point during the day, maybe waking up early in the morning or later on in the day, where you actually thought about what would it be like if Jesus came back right now? What would that be like? Mark talks about that glorious day, a day of hope, a day that gives us hopefully great encouragement in the sense that we're going to meet our Lord, the one who loves us, the one who cares for us. Also a day potentially for us now as we're sinful people that brings some conviction That brings some conviction because we'll meet Jesus and he knows who we are. He knows what we think. He knows the directions we've turned away from him uh, even this week. So it has all that wrapped up in it. But listen to this description of it in verses 26 and 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect. From the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. Our Heavenly Father is going to come, and He's not going to miss one of us who are called by Him. He will gather us into Him and make sure that we are taken home to His kingdom. That's a sign far away, or as Jesus says, maybe tomorrow. The people in Jesus' day, it was far away for sure. That's the signs. What about the scenarios? What about the scenarios for Jesus' return? And we just have a few minutes uh, left, but, but I have to tell you, I know we're, we're going to get a little more technical here for a minute again. It's just hard to preach through, spend two weeks talking about a passage that's all about Jesus' return, and not at least take a moment and, and sort of help us be aware of the different perspectives that are out there. 
thankfully, it's an intramural discussion, if you will, an in-house discussion among believers. Uh, we all believe, those who put their trust in Christ and recognize the authority of the Bible, that Jesus is coming back sometime. But the reality is we kind of maybe differ on how we see that happening. And we just need to love one another through these differences, but it'll, it'll help us to understand, to read a couple of passages. One is from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Chapter 4. And it describes part of Jesus' coming back in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then I'll mention, for sake of time, I'm not going to read through it, but the book of Revelation in chapter 20, verses 1 through 10 describes this whole reality of Jesus coming back, Jesus returning. And the only thing I want you to understand, I put some terms down on your worship guide. If you want to make some notes next to them, you can. Is just this, that uh, there's these three different views. One is called post-millennial. That's a big theological term. It just means this, that some folks really believe that we're in the millennium right now and that things are going to be actually getting better as we approach the end times, and then Jesus is going to come. So Jesus comes post the millennium, this sort of thousand-year time that's described in scriptures. And uh, that may seem, for some of us, that may, may be a little different. That may be the least familiar of these views. But some folks called the pilgrims and the Puritans, that was their main view. In fact, that's the reason a lot of them came over to this country was because they were trying to establish and really believe that the gospel was going to go forth in the world and in this new world God was going to do a new work of, of saturating the gospel. And so there's an expectancy in this view that the gospel influence is going to increase. And there's some credence to that. I've mentioned in past weeks that even though in the West we see the influence outwardly of Christianity seeming to, to fade at this time, who knows, God might do a revival at any point. But we certainly see in the rest of the world, in Asia, in Africa right now, the gospel advancing in ways that has never happened. It's happening in our lifetime, people. Amazing thing. That's the post-millennial view. The pre-millennial is probably much more familiar to us. If you watch the, or read the Left Behind books, they would you know, dovetail with some of this. And this is simply the view that the millennium, this idea of Jesus coming and reigning on earth, and, and, and that it would probably actually happen in, uh, in Jerusalem, in, in Israel, in the temple, that that's going to come after Jesus returns. And if you've ever heard of the rapture, that sort of view of the rapture, that people are going to be snatched up and then come back later, that's part of this premillennial view. And I'll apologize. I'm doing a broad brush stroke just to, to let us know generally. So please don't be offended if you hold strongly to one of these and you feel like I'm butchering it. And then the last view is this amillennial view. The, the premillennial view would kind of say that things are getting worse. They'd look at these things in this passage and say, you know, there's a point where this is going to kind of steamroll. This is kind of going to build up into a landslide and things will collapse. And then that's when the millennium comes. This amillennial view is similar in some ways to postmillennial. It just says that we're actually in the millennium right now. 
It's actually going on right now. And things aren't necessarily going to get better, and they're not necessarily going to get any worse. We're just in this in-between time. Uh, Jesus has already established his kingdom, but it's not yet fulfilled. And so part of the church's calling is to walk through this period, to wait on Jesus, and, and we wait with expectancy. Uh, why, why do I mention all of these? Again, so we can have a little bit of understanding. If you want to read or study them more, I put a few uh, references, I think, down at the bottom of your worship guide. It mentions a book and then also a website that's got a little bit more detail about it. I'd encourage you to go look there because we want to try to understand God's Word. It's just a reality that uh, as folks in, who are all well-meaning believers look at this, it's hard for people to discern, uh, all of us to agree, what's the reality here. Let me conclude with this. The main point I want us to take away from today is that Jesus' admonition to have childlike faith is not an admonition to have childish faith. What I mean by that is that Jesus actually urges us multiple times, again, in this passage that's used for a lot of speculation, a lot of fanciful thinking. He actually urges us to be very cautious, to be very guarded people. You know, it's, uh, it's Father's Day. This is probably not a good uh, Father's Day thing to do, but uh, one of the things that I do from time to time with my boys is I just, like, make something up totally random and see how they respond. Sitting at the dinner table and, you know, hey, hey boys, I was looking out my office window today, and you're not going to believe it, but a chicken was walking along in front of the office, and it just exploded. Just exploded right in front of the office. And then I'll do, or, you know, or if they're talking about baseball stuff, and they're getting a little bit, you know, big for their britches about their baseball accomplishments, I'll just make, you know, boys, when Dad was uh, back playing Major League Ball, we, we didn't have any of these fancy bats. We just used regular old wooden bats. And it's interesting to see how they respond the oldest one, who's nine years old, he, he doesn't bite too much anymore on these things. He's kind of moved on from uh, having a childish faith. Hopefully he's still got a childlike faith. Hopefully all of us do. But he's got a little bit of uh, healthy skepticism about what's being said. So you can just tell from my tone of voice. Uh, the, the twins are about seven years old. They'll kind of... They'll kind of be interested, and they'll, add, they'll say, really? Is that really? So they know it's probably not true, but they want to find out if that happened. Uh, the youngest one will just say, where would all the pieces of the chicken go? What, what was it like playing for the Cubbies, Dad? You know, he's just ready to dive in. And, and, and so as believers, folks, we're called to mature in lots of areas spiritually. Hopefully the last couple of weeks have helped us to kind of mature in our understanding that we've really been challenged to be ready for Jesus coming back. I really hope we are. I hope, we're that, I hope that informs the way we live. And I hope today, too, we've gotten a little help understanding the signs and the scenarios for Jesus' return so we can rightly read the times. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that you would uh, give us, as I just said, hearts of readiness for you, Lord Jesus, to return. Oh, Lord, we confess that we uh, live each day often with absolutely no thought to the reality of meeting you and meeting you soon. Oh, Lord, uh, bring that spiritual reality into our lives. And, Lord, as you do that and open our eyes to that reality, also guard us against our propensity to run off the road 
into all kinds of rabbit trails with this end times reality. And instead, Lord, help us just to rightly understand your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.